I don't know how anyone can deal with the, the insanity that's taking place in our world today without knowing Jesus Christ. It is uh, quite a, it's quite a riot we're, we're taking here, you know, in, in these last days. Uh, you know, you mentioned last days to some people, and I was like, what do you mean last days? Well, the last days have been going on since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's been going on from the very beginning of the church. Uh, that's made clear in places like Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, and, and all. So, we're just carrying on that tradition, as it were, you know, from the word of God. This is the, these are the last days. I would have to say we're in the last of the last of the last days. And so we should uh, be acutely aware of, of what is going on in the world. I made a mention on, uh, on Sunday as we were going through the study that we've been doing on, on the deep state and... Uh, just for those who haven't heard any of those, we're not dealing with the deep state as far as the issue of politics is concerned, though we've touched upon it and we're probably going to do a little bit more uh, this, uh, the following week after this next weekend. But um, you know, I mentioned that you know too many Christians today and too many churches are, you know, are kind of living in, in that um, matrix type of situation where you know they're just going on day by day you know nothing nothing's really bothering them in, in life you know you just go on but underneath there's there's really a, a, the reality of, of things and uh, when we were beginning our studies in the deep state back on on new year's eve i was mentioning that ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 that of course tells us of course that we're you know that we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And in all of that, we're, we're talking about an unseen realm. We're talking about things that we can't see. We see the effects on the outside, the effects of sin, the effects of, of that battle, the effects of wrestling with these things. But, but we don't see the realm that we're, that we're wrestling with. And so uh, that makes things all the more difficult if we do not have that understanding from the word of God and understanding as well that we have been given the power of the Holy Spirit to live our lives in such a way that we can overcome these things. That's why the Apostle John said we, you know, that uh, uh, he said a lot of things. <laughs> All of a sudden, <laughs> uh, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in us as believers in Jesus Christ than he that is in this world. So I uh, just want to encourage you all to, you know, to, to realize the, uh, the great necessity to uh, deal straightforward with the word of God. And uh, that's what we try to do here week in and week out. Uh, I want to mention that uh, this coming weekend uh, on Saturday night at 5.30 and of course Sunday at at 9 and 11, that uh, our dear friend and uh, brother in Christ, uh, Greg Reed, will be here uh, as part of this series that I've been doing on uh, the uh, spiritual warfare issue. Greg, a couple of years ago, wrote a book called The War of the Ages. Now, I say a couple of years ago, in talking to him, you know, he says, I've been going through this for 
you know, a number of years in preparing the book. And uh, we've, we've actually sold the books when he's been here, but I'm sure he'll have some more when, he, when he's here this weekend. But it's all about the spiritual warfare that, uh, that is going on today. So he's going to do a segment uh, this, this coming weekend. And then the following weekend uh, uh, in February, uh, the next, I guess it's the second full weekend, that uh, I'll be doing my best to close out this uh, session or these uh, series of studies. Uh, the uh, next thing is uh, uh, announcement that I need to make has to do with the uh, uh, the upcoming uh, couples uh, dinner that is going to be on February the 21st, and that'll be here. I believe uh, the doors will be open at 6 or 6.30, and then the dinner will start at 7. So that is for couples, a couples uh, dinner, uh, the 21st, February. And then I want to uh, make mention to you, for those that were here last year, uh, Elijah Abraham uh, is going to be with us at the end of the month. He'll be here from February the 28th on Friday night. We're going to do a Friday night as we did last year, Friday night uh, seminar, uh, Saturday uh, in the daytime, in the day we'll have morning and afternoon sessions. He'll speak that Saturday night, the 29th, and then uh, I guess I'll have to say all day Sunday because we'll do two services and each service will have a different uh, theme. So, you, you know, if you want to stay for both services, you can't. And then in the evening will be the closing uh, uh, session on the seminar. Uh, it won't be the, it won't be the same seminar that he did this this last time. So it, it, uh, it's going to be really uh, exciting to you know see where he's going. I still don't know yet. I haven't talked to him. I have to, I've talked to him, but we we've kind of looked at a lot of different topics. But I would uh, almost have to believe that we're going to deal with what's going on in the world today, is especially in the Middle East. So we're we're looking forward to Elijah being with us. I think those are all my announcements. All right, good. Uh, and if I remember any during the time of the study, uh, don't worry. I'll, I'll probably say something. No, I won't. Okay. Jonah. The prophecy of Jonah. I interesting, you, you know, this is one of the, uh, this is one of the 12 uh, minor prophets uh, that we've been studying through. And uh, when I mention the prophecy of Jonah, there's really only one phrase that's a, a prophetic statement, and that's all the way in chapter 3, when he says, in Hebrew, he says five words. In English, it's, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's the prophecy of Jonah. The rest of this great book is dealing with the life of the prophet and his wrestling with God and it's about the love of God for the nations. Something that, uh, you know, we, we don't want to, we don't want to overlook. Why would he send a prophet to Nineveh, an Assyrian city that was filled with all kinds of uh, idolatry and really wickedness and evil and hatred? But God sends a prophet there, and the prophet he chooses to send is, is Jonah. And uh, 
A couple of weeks ago, we, we had uh, started in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I'd like to go back and read the first 10 verses. We're going to cover those 10 verses this evening. When we began the, uh, the study itself, we were actually doing an introduction to the whole book of Jonah. So tonight we're moving on and pressing on. But let's read the first 10 verses of Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said, Every one to his fellow, Come and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? What is thy country, and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. There are obviously grave consequences in making tragic decisions. And Jonah's tragic decision was rejecting God's call and commission. He deliberately disobeyed the Lord and he actually, he ran away from him. I believe a couple of weeks ago I mentioned, you know, that he was like those kids that run away from home and packs his little, you know, bag and puts it on his shoulder and off, off he goes. But he wasn't like the kids who go down to the end of the corner and decide, well, it's time to go home again because it's dinner time. No, he was running away from God. Now, I don't know how impossible you think it is to run away from God, but that is exactly what it is. It's impossible to run away from God. I've always considered it this way, that if you run away from God, you're always going to run into him somewhere. 
whichever way you turn, whether north, south, east, or west, or anything in between. But he deliberately disobeyed the Lord, and he ran away. And whether we, we, like to, whether we would like to or not, we are bound ourselves to put ourselves in this scenario simply because we suffer similar consequences when we disobey the Lord. I mean, have you ever heard or said the phrase, what was he thinking? You ever said that about anybody else? Consider the fact that some people are saying that about us too. What was he thinking? When we go astray, when we get off the mark, when we get off the beaten path, so to speak. Let's understand that the prophet's disobedience caused him to leave both home and country. And we'll see where he, where he heads here in just a moment. But in making that disastrous decision to run away from the Lord, he decided to flee as far away as he could. Of course, he, he had to know that he could never escape God's presence. I mean, he was a prophet of the Lord. He actually had to have some intimate, intimate knowledge of God for God spoke to him to become a prophet who was, an, who was already a working prophet. He had already prophesied to the northern kingdom of Israel. As we learned in 2 Kings. How does he not know that he can't escape the Lord? Because the Lord is present everywhere. The scriptures teach us of God's omnipresence. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. The psalmist says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. I know somebody would say, well, obviously. But notice this. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. How significant and appropriate do we find in that particular verse, the taking the wings of the morning and dwelling in the uttermost parts of the sea, as Jonah will eventually do. But Jonah apparently felt if he could get far enough away from Israel and from Assyria, where he was called to go, because they were the two places that were involved with God's new commission to him, then God might bypass him. Have you ever felt like you could get out of some kind of situation or or maybe some kind of calling if you will and you really don't want to do it but you know that God has put it out before you and you're just kind of like saying well yeah that's that's great Lord I I know I said in prayer one day you know Lord use me and and now you're calling me but I, I don't kind of like where you're taking me here maybe if I just get under my covers and the pillow over my head you know with time, you'll just say, I'll get somebody else. 
Does that work? Does it, does it ever work for it? It hasn't worked for me. <laughs> because God knows exactly what he's calling us to do. And he knows exactly who he wants to use. And he knows, and he knows exactly why he wants to use us. So he thinks that God might bypass him, possibly. The Lord might choose another prophet for the difficult task. Well, he had a whole bunch of others. But sadly, Jonah in his open rebellion against the Lord sought to get as far away as he could. So he made a deliberate decision to travel to Tarshish. Tarshish, known also as Tartessus, which is in Spain. The coasts of Spain. One of the nation's major seaports. And I find it interesting. Because Tarshish is a a name that is mentioned often in biblical prophecy. We studied it back when we were in the book of Ezekiel. But Tarshish was approximately 2,500 miles west of where Jonah was in Joppa. I'll talk about Joppa in a moment. But Tarshish, as I said, was 2,500 miles west, which represented the farthest point of the world at that time to which Jonah could flee. And having made his decision, Jonah takes this quick journey down to Joppa, where he found a ship that would soon sail for that distant port. And very quickly, Joppa today is, is known as Jaffa or Yafu or Yafo in, the, in Hebrew, Yafo, uh, in Arabic, Yafa. Um, it's, it's the port city that is connected to Tel Aviv. So it's, it's, it's a twin city in, in, in Israel. And uh, that's where he wanted to sail to Tarshish. And Tarshish was, by the way, a city named after one of the sons of, of, of Yavan. In Genesis chapter 10, verses 1 through 5, it says, Now these are the generations of the sons of Noah. And I found this particularly interesting to make this connection because, again, it is something that is prophetic and has a foundation for the prophecy of today or the prophetic language of today. These are the generations of the sons of Noah. Now remember what Jesus said, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. So, you know, there's, there's, a, there's always going to be a connection prophetically. But these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, through which the line of David would come, and of course from, da- from David would come Jesus, uh, Ham and, and Japheth. And unto them were sons born after the flood, the sons of Japheth, Gomer and Magog, or Magog. And Madai and Yavan. There's uh, Yavan. So this is, uh, you'll notice it goes on Tubal and Meshech and Tiras. And the sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz and Rifat and Togarma. And the sons of Yavan, Elisha and Tarshish, Ketim and, and Dodanim. 
By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, everyone after his tongue, after their families and their nations. Why do I mention these particular verses? Because it points to the very fact that we are dealing with Jonah, a Hebrew, according to him, a child of Israel, a prophet of the God of Israel, is wanting to go as far away from his land into Gentile lands. You leave Israel, you leave your land that was given to you by God himself. So he's really trying to leave. He's really trying to resign from all of these things that God has called him to. A little bit more about Tarshish. It's believed that this Tarshish was a wealthy Phoenician merchant city that traded silver, tin, and lead, located, as I said, in Spain and, and known to the Greeks and Romans as Tartessus. The city was a colony of Tyre. And some have identified it as Seville in Spain. But as I said, Tarshish was the westernmost point in the known world, unless the biblically prophetic Tarshish is actually located in the new world. And of course, we talked about that in our study of Ezekiel. Enough of that. So now, Jonah's disobedience, getting back to Jonah, his disobedience, as I, as I spoke of the consequences earlier of, 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 the, of the sin of disobedience by Jonah, it not only affects Jonah, and this is something that we need to understand about our sins and our disobedience to God, that our disobedience is going to affect a whole lot of other people as well. So it would endanger others as well as himself. Verse 4 of Jonah chapter 1 says, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. Notice, it was the Lord, the Lord that sent it. The first thing is the Lord saw Jonah running. And because he saw him, now he sends something. He sends a great wind into the sea. He sends this mighty tempest in the sea. There was a tempest, a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. And then the mariners were afraid, and they cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. They obviously didn't have insurance companies. They could ensure that, you know, you're going to take all this cargo from one place to another. Hey, if it's, if it's the cargo or our life, then the cargo's gone. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship. And he lay and was fast asleep. You know, there's a tremendous contrast in that picture. The contrast of the time that Jesus with his disciples was on a boat and he decided while they were on the boat, he'd just go take a nap. And, and then there was this great, great storm on the Sea of Galilee. And the, the disciples were like, What's he doing sleeping? It was to teach them to trust him. Contrast that with Jonah who has lost all his faith in the Lord who sent him to Nineveh. But he was fast asleep. You know, as I've always said, words and phrases have significant meanings and so a certain phrase seems to pop up in this text. 
Back in verse 2, we see a couple of mentions of it. Because in verse 2, we're told that Jonah went down. He went down to Joppa. In the same verse, he went down into a ship, into that ship. In verse 5, it tells us that he went down below the decks of that ship. He went down, he went down, he went down. You know, that's the only direction that a person who's running away from the Lord can go. You might think that you're going to go 2,500 miles to the west, but in fact, spiritually, you're just going down. What we see is that the Lord did everything possible to keep his dear prophet from destroying his life and ministry. And I think we need to understand that about the Lord. You know, we sang a lot of songs about the love of God today and how much we love the Lord because of how he cares for us. But I think that we sometimes underestimate his love when we listen too much to the enemy who tells us, oh, God doesn't love you, God doesn't care, look, he left you, he's abandoning you. So just leave him. Those are always some of the, those are always the temptations that the enemy will throw at us. But the Lord did everything possible to keep Jonah from destroying his life and destroying his ministry. But he also loved the Ninevites. Despite their wickedness, and wanted to send them a message of hope and salvation. This is the theme of this book of Jonah. It's the theme that we should never lose sight of when we study any book from Genesis to Revelation. The fact of the matter is, we need to understand how consistent God is. God is consistent in his character. God is holy, holy, holy. God is righteous. God is just. God is true. God is mighty. God is powerful. But God is merciful. And he's gracious. And he's known as love in the scriptures. And he's consistent in every one of those things. Because he's perfect in all of his ways. And we sometimes confuse some of those characteristics. And it doesn't help again if the enemy tends to get us focused in the wrong direction. But he wanted to save Nineveh as he wants to save in this world today. For God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent out his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He sent the greatest expression of love in his only begotten Son, to enact the greatest expression of love by dying on our behalf. 
God is consistent. Never, never think of the Lord as being capricious and doing things on a whim. God has seen the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. And so after the ship had sailed some distance away from the land, the Lord suddenly sent a, a strong wind across the sea, stirring up a fierce, fierce storm. The storm became so violent and turbulent that the ship was was really about to break up. Now, I was thinking about that, you know, uh, as, as I was looking at the text, because, you know, I, I've seen on the news recently of, you know, two of these uh, cruise ships, you know, that uh, they're, they're huge ships, and you would think, well, you know, they've got to have some control of these big, huge vessels. Of course, good Navy, good Navy uh, uh, captains and, and uh and admirals and all, and they're doing their big, huge, you know, vessels and the carriers and all of that. I mean, they, you hardly ever hear anything going on with that, you know, but here's two big, huge, humongous cruise ships, and then they, they just touch each other, and all of a sudden, one's capsized, and all the people are, ah, you know. So uh, you think about the size of, y'all, y'all ever seen one, real, a real one, instead of just in pictures, right? Y'all, who've seen cruise ships? Y'all, y'all seen cruise ships, you know? The, the Disney thing, you know, and then they had like 13 stories high and whatever. Yeah, they're huge, right? And, and you would think, well, you know, for the most part, they're pretty safe. We hope. So think about the ships in Jonah's time. That was going to break up really easy. In a fierce storm. And even the seasoned sailors themselves were frightened. So much so that they began to cry out to their false gods. And then they attempted to save the threatened ship by throwing all the cargo overboard to lighten the load. Now consider, if you will, that even though unknown to the sailors and Jonah at that time, the storm had come from the very hand of God himself. And its intention was specific. Stop Jonah from ruining his life and ministry. He was affecting the lives of everyone that was on that ship. And God knew that. And again, so capriciously, you know, what some people would think that God is. No. He knew exactly what he was doing. And I mentioned previously that the Lord called, listen, the Lord called the Jewish people to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. We, we saw that in, in, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> but whenever the Jews were out of the will of God, whenever the Jews were out of the will of God, they only brought about trouble and no blessing whatsoever to themselves or anybody else. They were supposed to be a blessing. And when they were obedient, they were a blessing. When they were disobedient, they were no blessing whatsoever. Twice Abraham brought trouble to, the, uh, to people because he lied. Twice. And we love Abraham. <clears throat> Father Abraham, right? We used to sing that song, church. Father Abraham had many sons. But he, he lied and, 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 he, and he caused trouble for people. 
During the time of Joshua, there was a man named Achan, Achan. He brought trouble to the army of Israel because he robbed God. And of course, Jonah brought trouble to a boatload of pagan sailors because he fled from the will of God. So take a moment to think of how much this prophet lost because he wasn't blessing others as he should have or he could have. And and take that understanding to your own life as a believer in Jesus Christ and say, am I blessing people or am I causing trouble for them? Now, please understand one thing. If you present the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're going to present trouble. That's okay. Because God called us to do that. But it's how you approach it. It's the attitude of your heart to tell people about Jesus because you love them and you don't want them to suffer eternal consequences. There are some people today who just, they would just rather just say, well, look, you know, look at all those those sinners. They're they're just going to go to hell because they're sinners. Well, go tell them about Jesus. Well, I tell them about Jesus, but they, they yell and spit and do all kinds of things at me. That's right, read 1 Peter. If that happens, read 1 Peter. Why? Because Peter said, hey, listen, this is going to happen to you. That's all right. It's what we're called to do. So what was Jonah losing? Well, first of all, the first thing that he lost was the communicative voice of God. He lost the communicative voice of God. By verse 4, we no longer read what we saw in verse 1. The word of the Lord came unto Jonah. God was no longer speaking to his prophet through his words. He was now speaking through his works. God was speaking through his works. The sea, the wind, the rain, the thunder, the fierce storm, the mighty tempest. And soon enough, the great fish. Everything in God's creation Everything in God's creation in nature obeyed God except his servant. As we'll see in just a moment, the Lord was even speaking to Jonah through the pagan sailors who didn't even know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God was speaking through them to him. So it is truly a sad thing when a servant of the Lord is rebuked by the heathens and the pagans and the idol worshipers. Jonah also lost his spiritual as well as physical energy. I mean, while the mariners are anxiously casting cargo out of the ship because of the storm, Jonah just went in into a fast sleep. 
He went to sleep. And as the text says, he went into a fast sleep. That really gives us a picture of what a deep sleep is. I've known some people, you can't, you can't wake them up. You, you could blow a, a, you know, one of those air horns in their head and they're just not going to wake up. Pretty fast sleep. They're just like dead. And you're hoping they're not, you know. They're taking pulse readings, you know. So then you say, okay, they're, they're fast asleep. Then you walk out and you bump, you know, you, you make a little noise. They go, hey, who's that? They kind of wake up. I don't know about deep sleep, you know. I mean, it's, it's, it's real. I mean, it does happen. I mean, there's levels of, you know, REM and all that kind of stuff. Okay. But uh, that, that was Jonah. What does it tell us in Scripture about sleeping like that? Proverbs 24, verse 33 says, Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. Verse 34 so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth and thy want or thy lack as an armed man. Poverty and want. From that kind of sleep, when you should be awake to the things of God, when you should be awake to the calling God has given you, like Jonah should have been awake to that at that very moment. You don't think that Jonah, when that storm started, was thinking somewhere in his mind and in his heart, ooh, I think God's after me. I think I'll take a nap. No, he was just, without that spiritual understanding and energy, the spiritual energy, I don't, I'm not trying to talk, you know, esoterically here, but that energy is, is really what gets us going in the morning. You know, when, when you get up and you say, you know, thank you, Lord, for this breath and thank you for this life. Thank you for this heartbeat because, you know, you, you've called me to be yours and, and I want to be available to whatever you've called me to do. I want this day to be your day. We may not phrase it in those terms, you know, but... That's why we take the time in the morning to pray. And we take the time in the morning to seek God's face, to read his word, to read his word so that he can speak to us. But he not only lost that communicative voice of God and and that, that spiritual and physical energy, he also lost power in prayer. He lost power in prayer. Verse 5 of Jonah 1 says, Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship unto the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? In the, in the, in the best understanding of the Hebrew here, I mean, he's really kind of like, I, I could almost just picture him. I, I mean, it, it's not in the scripture, but I could almost just picture him kicking Jonah. Hey! What meanest thou, O sleeper? 
Arise, get up, and call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. They all had their gods. Maybe one of these gods is going to listen to us. And you're here asleep. We don't want to perish. Maybe your God will hear us. Okay, I know this question is going to be piercing, but I will ask it anyway. Anybody ever slept through a prayer meeting? (laughs) All right, I'll admit. Okay, I'll start off. I'll start. Sometimes you get so tired. I mean, you know, there's you know so much that goes on and uh, in life, you know, work and whatnot. And you get to a meeting, you say, "Okay, I hope Lord, just give me strength to get through this meeting." And then all of a sudden, it's like, "Oh, <laughs> getting that neck action going," you know, man. Oh, you know that, that kind of thing. Okay, so I, I, I don't need to put you all on that spot. I confessed. But how sad that one person on board this ship who knew the true God, the one true and living God, and could have prayed to him, slept through it all. I mean, if he was aware that this was happening because he knew it was him that was running from the Lord, that it would have been the right thing to do to get on his knees and start repenting before God for the sake of those in the ship as well as for himself. But again, think about this. Jonah had to know that he would have first had to confess his sins and and determine to obey God. Because that's what we do when we repent, isn't it? Oh, Father, forgive me for what I was doing, what I wasn't doing. Now that means if I say that to God, now i got to take the step to do what's right. To obey God. Jonah knew that. Again, he wasn't a tenderfoot. He wasn't green behind the ears or wet behind the ears or either one. It was something that he wasn't at that time willing to do. Because he knew to do it, but he did not do it. He was not willing to do it. And it brings to mind a psalm of David, a phrase in a psalm of David, Psalm 66. It's not labeled as a psalm of David, but it's considered to be a psalm of David. And that's verse 18 that says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I regard iniquity in my heart. Now, the Hebrew word translated regard here means to look upon with knowledge and approval. So if you you consider that translation, then understand that he's saying, If I look upon my iniquity with knowledge and approval then the Lord will not hear me. That means that it isn't only knowing that we've sinned that hinders prayer, but holding on to that sin, approving that sin, and protecting that sin. That's a pretty heavy word in one little short sentence. If I regard 
iniquity in my heart. If I hold on to it, if I approve of it, if I protect it, the Lord will not hear me. The Apostle John wanted to make clear to the church about this issue of confessing our sins. He said in 1 John 1 verse 5, this then is the message which we have heard of him, speaking of Jesus, and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So as believers in Jesus Christ, we live in light. What do we do in light? Well, we tell the truth. Because the light's going to shine. <laughs> the light's always going to reveal truth. And in him is no darkness at all. We've lived our life in darkness. We're not to live our life in darkness any longer. He goes on and he says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If, great verse here, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. We cannot regard iniquity any longer in holding it and approving it. We have to confess it. So we see that he doesn't do that. Because if Jonah happened to pray, his prayer would not be answered. If it was just a matter of praying, just a simple general matter of praying. Because he knew that he had to come with that kind of heart of confessing his sin. And he doesn't do it. So let's remember that loss of prayer, of power in prayer, let's remember that loss of power in prayer is one of the first indications that we are far from the Lord and we need to get right with him immediately. Whereas we used to say, what, what was he thinking? The real question now is, what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? We need to get right with God tonight, today, this hour, now, now is the day, now is the appointed time. But if Jonah lost anything at all, and he lost a lot already, didn't he? But he lost, if he lost anything at all, he lost his testimony and his witness to these sailors. Look at verse 7. And they said, everyone to his fellow, come and let us cast lots. 
that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. You know, would think uh, casting lots would be like uh, <laughs> any number of things that you could think of, casting dice and numbers and, or stones with painted different colors and picking certain stones out and assigning them to people and whatnot. Whatever the method was to these sailors, they cast lots. So they cast them, and the lot fell upon Jonah. And then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? And what is thy country, and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I'm, I'm, I'm an Hebrew, and, a, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which made the sea and the dry land. He, he feared him, but he didn't fear him enough, did he? And then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? Or why hast thou, you know, why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. They knew because he told them. Instead of being that strong witness to the salvation of God, Jonah was on the verge of destroying the lives of the sailors and other, and other passengers on the ship. He says, I'm a Hebrew. But he was more than that. He was a prophet of Almighty God. Sent with a message to Nineveh. Which he didn't do. And his testimony is covered up. And it's weak. And feeble. So as he was on the verge of destroying these lives of the sailors and other passengers on the ship, apparently it was, it was most unusual for, unusual for a storm of this size and velocity to arrive during the sailing season. For the sailors came to the conclusion that some so-called God was venting wrath against someone on the ship. And they naturally wanted to expose the individual so that they could deal with the critical situation. And so they began to cast the lots to see who had aroused the wrath of the gods. And when the lots were cast, notice this, the Lord supernaturally guided them to fall on his prophet. And immediately, the eyes of the sailors focused on Jonah and they quickly asked a barrage of questions, hoping to find out the cause of the ferocious storm. They, they wanted to know what he, what he had done to bring uh, uh, such fury against them. They also wanted to know everything about Jonah to determine why these things were happening. So at this point now, knowing how critical the situation was, not only the circumstances of the storm, but also the confrontation by the seasoned but frightened sailors, Jonah knew, he knew that he could not and should not even attempt to deceive his way out of this conflict. But consider this, when we talk a little bit about casting lots. Consider this, Proverbs 16, verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap. But the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Now notice that the word disposing there, I've put in, filled up the understanding of that particular Hebrew word. It means that the whole verdict or the sentence or the decree 
is of the Lord. The lot is cast into the lap. But the consequence, the verdict is of the Lord. The disposing thereof. The law was cast into the prophet's lap. In a very simple and straightforward manner, he, he stated that he was a Hebrew and that he worshipped the Lord who made both the land and the sea. Now, it's quite possible that like most pagans, these sailors greatly feared that the wrath of God would fall upon them for their failing to worship him properly now that they found out Jonah's God controlled the entire world. There could be no doubt that Jonah's spirit was agitated. But there really is no evidence up to this point that his conscience was disturbed. He was, he, he, he was as one risking everything on a false expectation and now sees that he must lose. What was the false expectation? God wants me to go tell a bunch of wicked Ninevites, fish worshipers, That they need to repent. And if they don't repent, he's going to destroy them. Well, I want them destroyed. So he loses. He determines to lose like a man. In his mind, it, it, it could not be helped. I, I'm just not going to go there. Let me ask you all a question. Do, do any of us want to stand on phys, uh, philosophical principles against God? I, I mean, I, I've talked to a lot of people, you know, uh, both in witnessing and, and just having a, a, some kind of an open conversation to try to find out where people are in, in their thinking today. And you mentioned something from Scripture, and they say, oh, well, no, you know, that, uh, that kind of goes against the grain of my philosophy about life and my philosophy about this. Man, if we stand before the throne of God, our philosophies are going to be nothing. Jonah did not want to preach repentance to the wicked Ninevites and he would go to these lengths not to obey God. But now something did reach his conscience. The terrors of his pagan shipmates when they came to their realization of the true state of affairs. For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. You see, even natural consciences will be alarmed at what a backslidden child of God takes in stride. The deadness of Jonah's spirit was the awful effect of behaving thoughtlessly and foolishly with God and grieving his Holy Spirit. What was it that Jonah should have known but refused to believe and apply to his life as a prophet of God? Well, he should have known the law. He should have known the law that says in Deuteronomy 11, verses 26 through 28, Behold, I said before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day. 
And a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which you have not known. He should have known the law. If we know that there's a blessing, as in in verse 27, a blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day. If you obey, well, I can't obey because, you know, I have this philosophical issue here. Or what my feeling is. Well, a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord. Well, now, now let's talk about that, Lord, because, you know, really, is there really a curse? I mean, really? I'm prospering. I'm making it well in this life. You know, bad news comes. I've stick my head in the sand. After a while, if I look up and things are better, then I'll go out. Or maybe I'll read my horoscope. Consider the words in 1 Samuel 12, verses 14 and 15. Words the prophet Samuel is giving is, if you will hear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then, the, then shall both he and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you as it was against your father's. This was all being said at the time that Saul was going to be king. And we know all about Saul. People's Choice. You ever seen those awards, the People's Choice Awards? What about God's choice? Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27 said, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, that's obedience, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. The rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. I began this study early on talking about the consequences of sin, consequences of disobedience. In Jonah's case, it was the deceitfulness of sin It was the deceitfulness of sin that hardened his heart. And we're needing to be cautioned about that as well. I believe I'm going to close with this. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Here Paul says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief, I don't know if you remember, not too long ago, I was talking about how, you know, bad is not all that bad anymore. Bad is not bad. In fact, we've changed the language. Bad is good, good is bad. 
But notice what he says. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Unbelief. Bottom line is there's no good unbelief. There's no fair unbelief. There's no middle ground unbelief. There is only evil unbelief. In departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. I pray that we tonight as believers in Jesus Christ, if we are truly believers in Jesus Christ, that we will hold the beginning of our confidence, the beginning of our trust, of our faith, of our belief, of our dependency upon the Lord himself, that we will hold that steadfast unto the end and give no, give no room for the enemy to deceive us, to blind us, or even eventually to use us against the God who loved us with an everlasting love and loves us still.